in Daniel chapter 1, in verse 6, it says, A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Well, it's Easter morning, and we're supposed to be talking about the resurrection. So what does the story of Daniel and the lion's den have to do with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, actually, a lot. It has a lot to do with it. Every single year we come here and we tell the amazing story of Easter, of Jesus' death and resurrection. But I'm not too sure, I'm not completely sure if everyone here actually believes that it's true. Not enough to surrender their lives to God's will. Not enough to, to, to stop doing the things that you're doing in your life, to, live, to stop living the life the way you're living it. And in honesty, if you're not living your life for God's will then you're just existing, you're not truly living. God designed us, God created us, God purposed us, and if we're not living according to God's will, we are just existing, we're not truly living. So this morning, I want to try to prove to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is not just a religious fairy tale. Because in people's minds, sometimes that's what they think. You come on Easter morning, they talk about the resurrection of Jesus, this, that, and the other thing. We all go home. Isn't that nice? Go home and hang out with our families. But I want to prove to you this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a religious fairy tale. Now, I want to be right up front. My goal in this service is to get you to a place where you are willing to take a step of faith and give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time, or if you already know Christ, to start living. Living your life, truly living your life for him. To sacrifice and say, you know what, I've been, I've been, I've been toying around one foot in the world, one foot in, for long enough. And, and my goal here is to, is to help you, to inspire you, if you will, to start living your life, to truly start living your life for Jesus Christ. The Bible is a supernatural book. It is supernatural. It tells of the future in ways that are impossible to refute. Intellectually possible, impossible to refute. Let me give you a couple examples of this before we get into our main topic. Isaiah 53, 4-6 says this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him... On him, the iniquity of us all. Jesus died for sinful people. In Psalm 22, verses 7 through 16, it tells us, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shake their heads. That he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From, from birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bathshan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear at their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My mouth 
mouth is dried up like a pothshed, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Crucifixion. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, uh, Jesus died on a cross. And when he died on a cross, they nailed his hands and feet to the cross. That's called crucifixion. That's what you Christians call the gospel. I understand that. Big deal. Big deal. I've heard that before. Big deal. Well, it is a big deal because I just read from you from the I read from the Old Testament. I just read from the Old Testament. And when I was reading that, most people in this room, if you know anything about Christianity whatsoever, are going, yes, that's crucifixion. Yes, that's. But here's the thing. That's why this is why it's a big deal. That was written a thousand years before Jesus was born and 500 years before crucifixion was even invented. Let that sink in. That was written a thousand years before Jesus was born and 500 years before crucifixion was even invented. Maybe you can explain that to me after the service, how that just, how that happened. If you're a skeptic, maybe you can explain that to me. The Bible can tell the future in a way that is impossible to refute. It is a big deal. It is a giant deal. And the amazing thing about Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel in the lion's den is it is a foreshadowing of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is an incredible foreshadowing of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is God's way of opening up your heart, opening up your heart and mind and drawing you to himself. That's why you have things like that in the Old and New Testament. Because if you really study, if you really start looking into it, you start, it boggles the mind. But that's God's way of saying to you, I am real, I am here. It is mathematically impossible, okay, for these things to have happened just by luck or chance. And I want you to try to understand that. These two stories, these two stories parallel each other in remarkable ways. And the more you study it, the more you get into the Word of God, and the more you study it, the more remarkable the parallels become. It is astounding. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is absolutely astounding. So please don't let your mind go to sleep. In other words, what I don't want you to do is what Ravi Zacharias calls the soft pillow approach. Someone says something that doesn't align with what you already think or believe about God. And so you just go to sleep. La, 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 la. I can't hear you. You just kind of turn your mind off. Don't do that. Don't turn. Don't 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 turn your mind off. Don't, don't, don't allow yourself to hide behind. I mean, hide behind luck or coincidence during this sermon. Do not allow your mind, okay, to hide behind luck or, oh, that's just luck, that's just coincidence. Here's the reality. God is, has called every single one of us in this room here for this morning for a specific purpose. God wants to say to you personally, come. Come, let us reason together. Come, let us reason together. See, my goal this morning is not to stir your emotions and then ask you to come to Christ. My goal is to stir your mind and then ask you to come to Christ. If your emotions are stirred, that's fine. I want to stir your mind. I want you leaving here. And if you're, if you're leaving here, well, it's just coincidence or luck. You know in your heart. That you just said, you just said something that was mathematically impossible 
and you know is not true, but you're holding on to it because you just don't, you know if you do this, then how's your life going to change? But I want to challenge you to use your mind. God says, come, let us reason together. The the Bible is the inspired word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. Those who wrote the Bible were inspired, were moved by God. And I'm going to show you an example of that this morning. If the Bible is not divinely inspired, okay, then, then how did Daniel 600 years earlier live and tell a story that parallels the life and death, okay, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so perfectly? You have to answer that question. What I'm going to share with you, intellectually, I need you to stick with me, okay? How on earth, if the Bible's not the inspired word of God, did 600 years before Jesus, did Daniel's life and story in the lion's den parallel Jesus' death and resurrection? Okay, so I want to look at the similarities between Daniel and the lion's den and Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, I cannot go into all the details. It would take way too long. But 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 I want to do is hit the highlights. But I challenge you to go back, if you will, to the word of God sometime this week and look at the details, the nuances of the two stories. It's it's incredible. So if you remember the, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, OK, Daniel, Darius is now king. Darius puts Daniel in charge of uh, a third. He's a third leading person in the empire. The, the Medo Persian Empire. And the other leaders begin to get jealous. And here's where the parallels start. They start to get jealous. So it tells us the administrators and the satraps, who are the leaders, they conspire against Daniel. Just as the, the, the Jewish leaders conspired against Jesus. They conspire against Daniel. They conspired against Jesus. In Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, it says, Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. Start to conspire. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accuse him of many things. Okay, the accusations, the conspiring. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? That's number one. Then Daniel is found blameless. Daniel is found blameless. They, they basically can't find anything. They can find nothing in his behavior, nothing in his behavior to charge him with a crime. In Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is what got them conspiring. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. They could, he was blameless. They found no charges to bring against him because he was blameless. In the same way, Jesus, Jesus is found blameless. 
They found nothing in his behavior to convict him. They found nothing in his behavior to charge him. In Mark chapter 15, verses 9 through 14, it says, you do not, uh, you do, uh, you do want me to release you. Do you want me to release you, the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest. Okay, the same as in Daniel. It was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd and, and to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. Why? He's blameless. What has he done? He hasn't done anything to be crucified. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. They could find nothing on Daniel. He was blameless to charge him. They could find nothing on Jesus. He was blameless. Matter of fact, Jesus was perfect to charge him. Daniel's enemies then come up with a plan. They come up with a plan to arrest him. It basically go to Darius and they say, Darius, we, you, are the, you live forever. You're awesome. Where's what we're going to do? We love you so much. They're tricking him that no one should be able to pray to any God or man except for you. Wouldn't that be wonderful for next month? And he he said, sure. And so he signs that into law. So they trick him into doing that. They They trick Darius into doing that. When the plan is set into motion, Daniel then goes to his home and he prays. He begins to pray, knowing, absolutely knowing that they were they were setting him up and that he would be arrested after he was finished praying. Daniel 6.10 says, now, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel is arrested after his time of prayer. Start paralleling here again. Jesus is arrested after his time of prayer. In Mark chapter 14, 32, it says, They went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. In Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 46, it continues. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him, lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Both were arrested after their time of prayer. And both knew it. Both knew what was going to happen. It's astounding. Also, Jesus is found guilty of transgressing the law of the Jews. That's their, that they thought. That was their own mind. That's what they try to get him on. Transgressing the law of the Jews. Daniel is found guilty, not of doing anything wrong, of transgressing the law of the Medes and Persians. He wasn't doing anything wrong, so they made what he was doing wrong. So he was arrested. He was arrested for transgressing the laws of the Medes and Persians, just as Jesus was arrested for transgressing the law of the Jews. 
Darius is deeply troubled and stressed that Daniel is sentenced to the lion's den, even though he's the one who sentenced him. Think about this. Don't lose the nuances here. Darius, King Darius, is deeply distressed. Doesn't want Daniel to go to the lion's den. He was tricked. He's deeply distressed that Daniel was sentenced to the lion's den, even though he was the one who sentenced him. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, is deeply distressed that Jesus is sentenced to go to the cross, even though Pontius Pilate didn't want him. He didn't want him to go, but he sentenced him. So Darius is, is, is just overwhelmed, even though he's the one who sentenced him. Pontius Pilate is overwhelmed that Jesus is sentenced to go to the cross, even though he's the one who sentenced him. The accusers tie the hands of both of these leaders in both stories. Both their hands are tied. They have tremendous power, but those leaders around them tie their hands. Darius pours over the laws and all the things to try to figure out a way to save Daniel before his sentence is carried out. He tries, he tries to figure out every way he can to save Daniel before that sentence is carried out. But the, sat, but the satraps, the leaders, have him cornered. There's nothing he can do about it. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, tries to free Jesus before he is sent. He is actually, the sentence is carried out. In John chapter 19 and verse 1. It basically tells us that Pilate scourged Jesus, okay? The last time I descri- described a scourging, okay, and in a church service, it was an Easter Sunday about five years ago, and two people passed out, one in each service. The ambulance had to come to each service and take the people to the hospital. Why? Because scourging is unbelievable. I won't go into it because I don't want you to faint, but it's unbelievable. And Pilate was trying to figure out how, what can I do to this guy that will make these folks happy so that I don't have to send him to the cross because he hasn't done anything. He tries to do everything in his power, like Darius tried to do everything in his power in order not to have the sentence carried out. Instead, the religious leaders stir up the crowd and they demand that the criminal Barabbas is released instead. Mark fifteen fifteen says this, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Okay, gets even better. Daniel is placed in a lion's den. What is a lion's den? It's basically a cave underground. Go look it up. A lion's den is a cave underground. Jesus is placed in a tomb, which is basically a cave underground. Right? It's a cave underground. Then... A stone is placed, in Daniel's case, a stone, once Daniel's put in the lion's den, the cave underground, a stone is put in place, so Daniel could not escape. It was, boom. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 17, it says, A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. A giant stone is placed over the tomb of Jesus. You've heard it. They roll the stone away. A giant stone is placed over the tomb of Jesus. In Mark fifteen forty six, it tells us, So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it, in, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. What I just said. Then, they, then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So both of them are put in basically a cave underground. 
Both of them have a giant stone rolled in place. Then Darius, it says, takes his seal and seals that stone. Anyone who removes that seal would be killed. That's the law. Daniel 6.17, And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Changed. The Romans seal the stone of Jesus' tomb. Okay, they do the same thing. The Romans put that seal on that on that tomb, so that anyone who removes the seal would be killed. And they also had guards there. Absolutely amazing, amazing. Keep going. Darius can't sleep. Because he's so distraught over what's happening to Daniel. All possibility of escape are now cut off. Daniel is presumed dead. I throw you in a lion's den, you're presumed dead. When Jesus was put into the tomb, the disciples were lost and completely distraught. All possibility of escape is now cut off. Jesus is presumed dead. I'm going to read you from Daniel chapter 6, verse 18, talking about him losing sleep. He lost sleep over it. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. Darius was distraught over Daniel. The disciples are distraught over Jesus. While Jesus is in the tomb, they are just completely overwhelmed. Then what happens? Just keep going. An angel of God appears in the lion's den. An angel of God. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 22, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. What I found, I found this totally cool. It's just a cool thing. It's Jeff Greer's way of thinking. I think it's cool. Daniel chapter 6, verse 22 says the angel shut the mouths of the lions. In, in, in Psalm 22, it talks about how, I'll just read it to you, it says, Roaring lions tearing at their prey open their mouths wide against me. I just thought it was interesting that in Psalm 22, the lions open their mouths wide against me. And then in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 22, it basically says that the angel closed the mouths of the lions. I just, that's just a, no big deal. It's just Jeff Greer. I think it's a cool thing. All right. So the angel appears at the tomb, okay, at Daniel, in Daniel when he goes into the lion's den. An angel also appears at Jesus' tomb. Matthew 28, verse 2. There was, a, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Then what happens in the stories? At dawn, okay, at first light, it says, at first light, Darius goes to the lion's den. At first light, Daniel six nineteen says, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. At first light, the women go to Jesus' tomb. Not in the middle of the day, not that night, not whatever. The first light, the women go to the tomb. Darius is given the good news then. That, Jesus, that, that Daniel is alive. He goes to the tomb, the stone gets rolled away, okay, and he finds out, he finds out early, Jesus, I mean, that Daniel is alive. The women go to the tomb and find out, guess what? Jesus is alive. See, here's the thing. 
This isn't a joke, okay? I'm not making these things fit. It just is what it is. Go back and study it for yourself. If you think I'm just, it's Easter morning and he's doing something, he's doing some really cool shell moving. You know what I'm saying? Go back and study yourself. Don't you walk out of here and say, well, he just kind of made that up. You go study it yourself. Don't intellectually do that to yourself. Okay? This is important. This is the most important thing you'll ever contemplate in your entire life. This is not a joke. I'm not making anything fit. The Bible is the inspired word of God. Again, don't you try to hide behind luck or coincidence. Oh, that's just all luck. Really? Seriously, do not intellectually reduce yourself. Don't, don't, don't intellectually reduce yourself. If you want to prove what I'm saying wrong, grab a Bible, grab, the histor- grab, his- grab historical documents, sit down, and try to prove it intellectually, not by, well, that's just coincidence, that's just luck. If you believe this is luck, you have more faith in luck and coincidence than I have in God, for goodness sake. There's no luck involved in this whatsoever. Jesus is foreshadowed by Daniel. 600 years before Jesus was born. Explain that to me. What I just did this morning. Explain that to me intellectually how that's not true. It's it's amazing. It's extravagant. Right? It doesn't make sense. Right? It does make sense. Because the Bible is the inspired word of God. However, there's one massive difference between the two stories. And some of you are thinking, yeah, well, I mean... There's one massive difference, right? There's one big difference. The big difference is Daniel lives and Jesus dies. Daniel lives and Jesus dies. So the two stories are a little bit different there. Daniel is saved and Jesus dies. Almost everything else about these two stories match up miraculously. This leads us to one of the most, this leads us really to the most important part of our whole morning together. This is really important. Jesus dies on a, Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. Jesus Christ died on a cross for me. He was placed in a tomb. Daniel was saved, miraculously saved, from certain death in the lion's den. You get thrown into the lion's den from a human perspective. You get thrown in a hundred times. You get eaten a hundred times. But he was miraculously saved from the lion's den. Daniel's life... Daniel's life will never, never be forgotten. Jesus' death will always be remembered. It will, it, Jesus' death will always be remembered. Now I want to get even more personal. I want, I want this to get even more personal. Like Daniel, we should, be living, we, we should be living out our lives that it should matter. The way we live our lives should truly matter to us. We should be living for God. In our, in our lives, our deaths, when we ultimately die, our deaths should echo in eternity. We should live lives that are so dynamic for God that our deaths echo in eternity. And I'm not talking about how to be famous or write a book or whatever. I'm talking about living for Him with such passion that when we die, heaven hears about it. It echoes throughout eternity. Do you, do you want to know how to truly live? Do you, tr- do you want to know how to truly live? You need to live like you have something worth dying for. Daniel fearlessly walked into the lion's den because his life with God was worth dying for. 
Martin Luther said, if you have nothing worth dying for, then you have nothing worth living for. If you have nothing worth dying for, you have nothing worth living for. Do you understand why you were created this morning? Do you understand why you were created? Do you truly understand your purpose in this life? The Apostle Paul understood why he existed. The Apostle Paul understood the meaning of life. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus died for us so that we could live for him. He died on a cross for us. He died on a cross for me so that I could live for him. He died for me so that I could live my life with passion. I could live my life with power, just like Daniel. He died so that I can live an extravagant life here. I mean, I mean, just a dynamic life here on earth. That I could live an abundant life here on earth. That I could do immeasurably more than all I could ever ask or imagine here on earth. And then, when I close my eyes and breathe my last, I could live eternally with God. See, if you think about it, both stories end the same, don't they? You say, well, Jesus died and Daniel, he was saved. They are pretty much ending the same, aren't they? Because when Darius runs down and the stone is rolled away, Daniel walks out. And when the stone is rolled away by the angel, Jesus walks out. He is alive. It is the most provable historical event in the history of the world. Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb. He is alive. I said in the beginning, amen, amen, right? Someone else say amen. For goodness sake, Jesus is alive, right? I said in the very beginning that my goal, my goal is to prove to you that the Jesus resurrection is true so that you would be willing to take a step of faith I didn't ask you this morning. I didn't get you all whipped up to a frenzy and ask you to make an emotional decision to leap off into the darkness without any. I built a foundation of truth. I talked to your mind. And I ask you, are you willing to take that step of faith and give your life to Jesus Christ? Are you willing this morning, based upon the evidence that I have shown you, and there's so much more, there is so much more. Are you willing to take that step of faith? Now's the time. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is, hear me out, no one in this room is going to be able to go to heaven and say, Well, I, I, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. No one is good enough to stand before a holy God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 basically tells us is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. No one's going to stand before God and say, yeah, I was so good that I got here. I'm standing in front of a holy God. In Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of our sin is death. 
But God, that's not the end of the story. If Jesus laid in a, in a grave and died there, it would be the end of the story. But God raised him from the dead. And because he did, our story's not over either. For the wages of sin is death. Not the end, right? Not the end. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 says, if, you can, if I or you confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21, listen to this. It says, God made him, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He made him who had no sin to take all of our sin on him so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, in other words, took everything you've ever done wrong, every sin you've ever committed, every horrible thing you've ever thought, every horrible thing you've ever done, every horrible thing you ever thought you might do. He took those sins upon him on the cross. He took them on himself and went to the cross. Just like Jen was talking to Ali, he died for you. He looked out. And this world and every sees God, he has, he is, his mind is infinite. He thought of every single person who ever lived. He thought of every single sin they've ever committed. His crucifixion wasn't horrible because they nailed him to a cross. He can handle that. The difficulty for Jesus, why he sweat blood in the garden, the Gethsemane, because he's fully God and fully man. And he knew that he was going to take the sin of every human who ever existed on himself on the cross. He took it for you and said, he said, he said, Greer, you're worth it. He said, you're worth it and you're worth it and you're worth it and you're worth it. And you're, he said, we're worth it. And he took that upon himself. What would you give to be free from your, your, your fear and your anxiety and your worry? What would you give to know the reason that you were created? What would you give to know your purpose in life? What would some of you give to start over, to get a do-over? What would you give? See, the Bible says, if we give our lives to Jesus Christ, if we give our lives to Him, the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation, you are born again. That's where that term comes from. You start all over again. Because Jesus Christ died on a cross. And when the Father looks down, He sees Jesus standing in front of me. And I am perfect in standing with God. Not because I'm so good, but because He's so good and His blood covers me. And now I can enter into the Holy Holies. And when I mess up, when I make mistakes, what I need to do is ask God to forgive me through Jesus Christ, who's my mediator between God and man. That's an amazing story. That's an incredible thing. And each one of us can have that. So I want to ask you this morning, are you willing, are you willing to take that step of faith and give your life to Jesus Christ? And if you are, I want you to just bow your heads with me and I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I want you, if that's your desire this morning, I want to give you a chance and I want you to pray this prayer with me. And for those of you who know Christ and you haven't been living the way you know you should be living, spend this time with God, asking Him to forgive you, and then moving on. Do not let Satan tell you, you've messed up too much. He doesn't want you anymore. That is ridiculous. 
There's nothing that you can do that is more powerful in overcoming than the blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the re- and, and resurrection. There's nothing that you have done that he can't forgive you for. Anybody who tells you anything different, any thought in your mind is a lie from the pit of hell. Ask him to forgive you and move on. Get back to where you need to be. Walk with him. Live for him. And if your desire is to come to know him for the very first time, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it to yourself. Father, I confess that I have not been living for you. But this morning, what Jeff is saying, it makes sense. And I can't deny the reality of your word and how miraculous it is. God, I no longer want to try to live my life on my own. So I do confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I do believe in my heart that, God, you raised him from the dead. Your word is true. Now, please help me walk with you every single day. God, you know I'm going to make mistakes. And I know I'm going to make mistakes. But now, covered with the blood of Jesus, I can have freedom. I can live my life in freedom. And when I fall short, I just need to ask you for forgiveness. Fill me with your spirit. Show me my gifts. Show me why I was created. Show me my purpose. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, with everyone's head still bowed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, all I want you to do is just to raise your hand up and then put it back down. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, just put your hand up. Amen. 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 Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power of your resurrection. I pray, dear God, that every single person would leave this place this morning with a newness, with a freshness, that we are alive in you. Father, give us the strength that we need to overcome the struggles we face in our lives. Walk with us every step of the way. And when we can't walk, Lord, carry us. Thank you for your resurrection and for newness of life. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week and happy Easter.